Animal teeth are very different from human teeth, especially in their ability to regenerate. What are the mechanisms responsible for tooth regeneration, and what can tooth stem cell research tell us? You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients by repurposing current therapies for new uses. And joining us to discuss stem cell research and possible clinical applications is Dr. Ophir Klein from the Biomedical Science Graduate Program at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Klein is an MD, PhD, and assistant professor in the oral facial sciences and pediatrics area. He was recently named a Culpeper Scholar for his work entitled Laying the Foundation for Organ Regeneration, the Continuously Growing Mouse Incisor is a Model System for the Study of Adult Stem Cells. Dr. Klein has joined us to talk about the promise of research on mouse incisor stem cells. Dr. Klein, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where did you earn your MD and your PhD, and when did you know you were going to do both research and clinical care? So I did both my MD and PhD at Yale in Connecticut, and then I stayed at Yale to do a pediatric residency, and I came to UCSF about five years ago to do a fellowship in genetics and some postdoctoral research work. And I think that the decision to do both research and clinical care came somewhere during my residency, at which point I realized that I wanted to continue to see patients in some capacity, although I really wanted to focus primarily on research. So what is the focus of your research? What are you doing? My lab is focused in large degree on studying a group of stem cells in the mouse incisor. And the mouse incisor is a very interesting tooth because unlike human teeth, it grows continuously throughout the life of the animal. And this growth, as I said, is, is driven by a pool of adult stem cells. And so we're interested in studying this both as a very interesting biological system as well as a model for regeneration of an adult organ. And how big is your lab? Who's working with you? How many people are there? So right now, I'm very fortunate to have a few excellent people in the lab. I have a research scientist, a technician, a postdoctoral fellow who actually is working primarily on a different project, which is an osteoporosis-related project looking at factors that control mineralization of adult bone. And then we have a graduate student, a dental student, and a few undergraduate students. How do you organize this group, and where are you in sort of the hierarchy? I would say that my role is to sort of guide people and, and hopefully motivate them. And the way that I try to do that is by interacting with them as much as possible. So we're a young lab. I've only been here for less than a year. And so it took us a little while to get off the ground. But I think that at this point, we're we're pretty much up and running. So how did you decide that this was the area for you to study in the first place? So I came upon it a little bit by serendipity. When I started my postdoctoral fellowship, I had just joined the lab of a woman named Gail Martin, who is really one of the international leaders in developmental biology and is also quite well known for being the co-discoverer of embryonic stem cells. And at that time in her lab, they had begun to study the role of antagonists of a growth factor signaling pathway. So these are molecules which their normal function is to decrease the amount of signaling from, from this pathway. And what that lab had done is to inactivate several of these molecules. The result of that is to have increased signaling in various places. And so what I decided to focus on was the craniofacial complex and the tooth. And I found quite soon after joining that lab that by increasing growth factor signaling, extra teeth can be obtained in the mouse jaw. 
And that's what really sort of got me going in terms of, of thinking about mouse dentition as a model for developmental biology. And then later that evolved into studying the incisor and, and the stem cell containing region. And so why are you so interested in these adult stem cells? Where do you think that's going to take us? So I'm interested in adult stem cells for two main reasons. The first reason is that they're biologically incredibly interesting because they are, like embryonic stem cells, very powerful cells. They are cells that are quite primitive when you compare them to their descendants, but they have this enormous regenerative potential. And I think for everybody who works on stem cells, the sort of magical property that the cells have is that they can both self-renew, meaning they can give rise to more of themselves, as well as to differentiate into other cell types. And so I think in terms of the basic biology, that's really what gets people who work on stem cells hooked, is that idea that the cells have this sort of fountain of youth and can continuously regenerate themselves. The second thing about the stem cells that I find really exciting is, of course, their therapeutic potential. I think although there has been a lot of hype, I think that at the end of the day, we will see that stem cell biology makes a lot of contributions to human health in terms of both regeneration, which is what a lot of people think about, but also in terms of using these as models for various diseases. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ophir Klein, a craniofacial development expert from the University of California, San Francisco. So you mentioned that these Adult stem cells in the mouse incisor are quite primitive compared to their downstream cells. What does that mean? What's about them that makes them look or act so primitive? So for us, actually, we're quite lucky in that the differentiated cells in the tooth are very, very specialized cells, and they're quite easy to locate. In fact, you often don't even need to do any fancy staining or other characterization of them. You can just cut the tissue and look at it, and you can readily identify the differentiated cells. So in particular, the two cell types that we focus on, although there are others in the tooth, are the ameloblasts, which are the cells that produce the enamel, which is, of course, the very hard substance on the surface of the teeth, and then a second cell type called the odontoblast, which produce the dentin, which is the more, the, a little bit softer, more bone-like substance inside of the teeth. And so th those cells are very easily identifiable. And when we look at the cells that we're studying as the stem cells, we see that they don't look anything like this. They, they are much more difficult to identify as any sort of specialized tooth type. So in that respect, we say they're more primitive because they haven't yet completed their journey and they're not expressing all of the different factors that a mature tooth cell would express. And these primitive stem cells can differentiate into either amelioblasts or odontoblasts? At this point, that's not clear. What we think actually is that there are in the incisor two different compartments of stem cells. One which is going to produce what we call the epithelial cell types, which includes the ameloblasts as well as several other very specialized tooth cell types. They have funny names like stellate reticulum and stratum intermedium. And we think that there's a second compartment, which we call mesenchymal stem cells, which would produce the odontoblasts as well as other cell types that are part of what's called the pulp of the tooth, including fibroblasts and other cell types. And are these two stem cell types interchangeable and just in a different part of the tooth, or are they actually different cells? Yeah, that's actually a great question, and we are just starting to think about that right now. We think that there are actually two different cell compartments, and they are probably not interchangeable. But what we think is really exciting about them is that they probably have to communicate very closely and that this communication between two different stem cell compartments can probably teach us a lot about the kinds of cues that stem cells get from their environment, including from other stem cells that tell them what to do. And what's different in these two compartments besides the stem cells that help one cell become an ameloblast and the other one become an adenoblast? 
Well, I think the main difference is really in their embryologic derivation. They're essentially separated from each other by what's called a basement membrane, which is a boundary that often is difficult but not impossible for cells to cross. And the difference in terms of their embryologic derivation is that the tooth actually has two distinct origins, and, and its development is the result of the interaction between these two different cell types. And one of them is called the epithelial compartment, and that is derived from the ectoderm, from the oral ectoderm. And what's called the mesenchymal compartment is derived from the neural crest. And these two tissues then interact uh, as the tooth forms, and then in the adult incisor, the odontoblast stem cells are derived from this mesenchymal compartment and the ameloblast stem cells are derived from the epithelial compartment. We all sort of have a sense of what a tooth looks like. So as this mouse incisor is wearing down and needs to regenerate, where are these two compartments sort of sitting in the mouse jaw or in the mouse tooth that allows them to get their new cells to the right place? So the Mouse incisor is very different from the teeth that we normally think about in terms of molars. You could think of the stem cells as being near where a root would be in the human uh, adult tooth. But actually, the human tooth, or in fact the molars that are present in the mouse, don't grow. And so all of the tissue types form essentially in the embryo or during development. And after that, no more tissue is really made, at least to any major degree, in the adult tooth. In contrast, in the incisor, the stem cells are present where the root would be, but there isn't really a root because all of the tissue types are being constantly generated, and they essentially move out towards the lip as the tooth is growing. So this is a constantly generating or regenerating tooth, not regenerating in response to loss of tooth enamel. Exactly. It's, a, it's constantly growing, sort of like fingernails. You could think of it like that. So if the mouse didn't wear its tooth down, it would eventually have a tooth that was so long it wouldn't be able to use it anymore? Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And in fact, one of the mutants that we were working on before had that exact phenotype because it had essentially too much enamel because of overactivation of stem cells and it wasn't able to be worn down and had that exact picture where it got too long. But in fact, you can see that a lot of times even when there are no problems with the stem cells because for the incisor to wear down properly requires that the jaws be aligned in a specific way. And so any mice in which the jaws are not properly aligned will have these very long incisors because they grow continuously, but they're not abraded. So we just need to find some mouse orthodontists so um, we can get those kinds of things fixed? Right. Do we know what the signaling is to increase that amount of growth or actually stop it? Do we know what those are yet? So we have a good idea of the factors that are important for that. And it turns out that the the same factors that are important for development of not only the tooth, but also for the development of most organs in the animal, as well as for very early developmental events that happen just after the, the egg is fertilized, that all those events are really controlled by a fairly restricted number of signaling pathways. And those signaling pathways include the ones that we are focusing on right now, which are called the fibroblast growth factor and the hedgehog pathways. And those uh, two pathways are important, as I said, for early developmental events and for, for later control of the organ development and for the adult stem cells. In addition to those two pathways, there are three or four other pathways which are also very important for the regulation of these stem cells. So I think at this point, what we have are fairly good preliminary evidence that, that these pathways are important for this. And the big question now is what these pathways are doing. We know that if we interfere with the activity of these pathways, 
that the either development, if that's what we're looking at, or the adult stem cell behavior gets perturbed. But now we're trying to understand why that happens, because when we understand how the pathways are doing, what we think they're doing, then we'll be able to control those events later. So who knew that tooth development would be so interesting and might lead to future medical miracles. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Ophir Klein, the craniofacial development expert from the University of California, San Francisco, for giving us some incisive insights into stem cell research to regenerate teeth and maybe other organs. You've been listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom. Stay on top of our latest medical topics by visiting our new website at ReachMD.com, where we welcome your questions and comments. Use the promotion code RADIO when registering online and receive six months of complete access to our on-demand library of podcasts. And thank you for listening.